what's up guys chad hermanson here welcome back to the mental edge training coach channel today i got a special guest mike dunn mike dunn is a las vegas native went to simra memorial high school and was drafted by the yankees and we are excited to have him today mike how's it going man it's going good thanks for having me well it must be going good because you have three tvs behind you um what's going on there what, what do we got going on uh, I had to sneak out into the man cave. The kids are playing, and I didn't want any screaming going on. So I'm out here in the you know, football central is what I call it. So I love it. I love it. So like I told you before, I, I only bring on guys that are bald and that they have beards, and we, we all got to stick together in our club. So so you're doing a good job. There, you got to grow it where you can, right? <laughs> so so Mike and I met each other. You were you were still playing, you know, obviously we're both from Las Vegas, but you were playing at CSN and you have a pretty cool story because everyone knows you as a pitcher in the big leagues. You you're a reliever, you played for the Yankees, the Braves, you know, the the Marlins, the Rockies, all these different teams. But they didn't know that you were a position player <laughs> before that. Originally drafted as an outfielder, first baseman. So. Yeah. So, so tell us that story. You're a position player. How did that all happen for you? Uh, so my senior year, I got drafted by Houston, uh, I believe in the 14th round, and they drafted me as an outfielder. Uh, I moved to Vegas, and everybody really only knew me as a pitcher, and I had to kind of talk to my coach. My, you know, it was my senior year when I moved in. I called Mike Hubel. I'm like, hey, man, I can swing the bat, too. And uh, he's, he went and saw me play some summer league games. And he's like, all right, you're going to be my number three hole hitter. You know, and he's like, first base is kind of locked up, but we got spots in the outfield. So I was like, okay. So Houston drafts me as an outfielder. I actually thought I was going to get drafted as a pitcher. Um, it was a lot of back and forth with all the conversations with teams. Uh, they were basically asking me which one I wanted to do. And I was like, hey, wherever you guys want me to play, I'll play. I just want to play baseball. And that ended up falling through for different reasons and stuff. And it, you know, we were probably only about a thousand dollars off in the sense of it, but uh, the talks kind of stopped. And I remember my dad, you know, my agent hadn't even showed up yet or my advisor hadn't even showed up yet. And our meeting had already ended because the guy's like, are you going to sign for this? And I was like, no, I think we need to talk about it. He's like, okay, we're gone. And he left and I looked at my dad. I'm like, we just said no to the big leagues, man, like to a professional baseball team. And that was kind of the end of our conversation with uh, with Houston at the time. And so I went on to CSN. Like I said, I was drafted as an outfielder. I get there and I played first base. Uh, I was a freshman just looking for a starting job. And uh, I was playing first and uh, never – I didn't even pitch there. And out of my two years, I think I threw three innings in fall ball. <laughs> and that was it. And then, uh, you know, the Yankees drafted me as a first baseman. And then as I came back my sophomore year um, – I played outfield again. And so I never actually played the same position I got drafted at two years in a row. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a fun little run. And then once I got there, they actually, you know, fast forward about three or four years, they told me they drafted me to pitch. But I was, you know, hitting at the time. They'd seen me pitching summer ball and stuff like that. So um, it was disappointing but at the same point I was still playing baseball and I knew pitching was always something I could fall back on just from being left-handed and I thought I was pretty good yeah and so once I once I got on the mound it kind of was a, a fast track for me throughout the minor leagues yeah because I remember what correct me what years were you at CSN I was there 0405 0405 yeah so I, I remember still playing and watching you throw from the outfield 
Um, I, I was, I had all my big league time. It kind of happened at this point, trying to get back into minor league baseball, triple A crap like that. But I remember like, who's this dude in, le- in right field, just chucking rockets. <laughs> and they're like, dude, that's Mike Dunn. They're like, man, he can really throw. And then I, and that was the question. I'm like, well, does he pitch? Right. Cause I mean, hitting's fine, whatever, but like that dude can really throw. And I, and it was just interesting how, you weren't maybe necessarily used maybe how you wanted to be at that time, but man, it, it was jumping out of your hand. And that's, I was like, that's what the guy, these guys are looking for. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a blessing in disguise. I mean, I got two years off of throwing. I didn't, I didn't compile those innings on my shoulder and my elbow and stuff. And you know, and when I was there, I didn't, it didn't bother me that I wasn't pitching. I mean, I was having a blast playing the outfield. I mean, there's nothing better than throwing a runner out, trying to stretch a you know, a single into a double or, you know, trying to go first or third on you or, making a, you know, bang, bang play at the plate. And I, I really enjoyed doing that. It was a lot of fun. That's awesome. So, so you get to pro ball and are you still, you're still hitting as a hitter or are you just straight going to pitching right at pro ball? No, I mean, whenever I signed, I even asked, I said, Hey man, do I need to bring my pitching glove? And they're like, Nope, you're going to play outfield and first base. So uh, I went straight into rookie, rookie ball. I uh, got there early. You know, obviously I was, a, you know, they don't have the draft and follow anymore. So I signed, I don't know, probably two weeks before the draft. So they had uh, instructs were going on and stuff. And I went straight into playing games and uh, rookie ball. And I was there for about a week and they moved me up to high A. And I basically was the two hole hitter playing center field every day for high A and um, had a lot of fun. I was a little uh, overmatched, I would say. Um, But, you know, coming from CSN where, we swung wood bats. We played a lot of small ball, and they had me in the two hole uh, behind. I'm going to blank on the name right now, but he that year in 2005 he set the record for stolen bases in the Florida State League. So basically, like, hey man, let him get on. He's going to steal second, or you know, steal third, whatever, and then just kind of move him over, get him in, whatever you got to do. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, I can are you bunting a lot? Like a lot of sack bunts down the line. Yeah, I mean, if he would, if he would, you know, get a single, he'd still second. That'd have me yeah. bump him over to third, and you know, kind of like, all right, that's that's what I'm doing. And this is fun. Yeah, I mean, it was defense, and then you know, I come into my first spring training, and they're like, hey, yeah, your power numbers were a little down, and I'm like, uh, I was bunting, doing a lot of hit and run, like <laughs> kind of hard to hit for power whenever I'm being asked to do different things. So. Um, you know, it was the first year of the WBC, so I was actually in AAA spring training in my first spring training ever, and I knew this wasn't where I was going to be. You know, I was just kind of a field player, and I ended up staying after WBC and everything. I ended up staying in AAA all the way up until the last two days of spring training, and I played center field every day, and I led off for the team, and I, I think my batting average that spring training was like a 460, 470. And I was killing it. I was like cloud nine, like, here we go. And then the second to last day at camp, they're like, hey, you're going to go down to high A. You're going to be the starting center fielder, all this. And I was like, okay, cool. Within the last day of camp, uh, they come up to me like, hey, we don't have a spot for you. Can't find you any at-bats anywhere. And I was like, wait a minute. I just went from the starting center fielder in high A to where I can't even go to low A. (laughs) I got nowhere to be. so it was just, it was a long process and, you know, the competitive nature, I mean, I'm sitting here, I'm like, I just had a great spring. I'm swinging the bat really well. And ultimately their goal, you know, now looking back at it in the conversations we had was to send me to AAA and have me be outmatched yeah. and actually struggle. And that way they could convert me to the pitching a little quicker. 
but it kind of backfired and I did well and it just boosted my confidence. And so they had to kind of put me into a slump and I've got to, you know, I basically played once a week and, and then I, I ended up talking with my hitting coach when I was down in low A about pitching. He brought it up to me and I'm like, wait a minute. After a couple of days, I'm like, you're the hitting coach. Like, why are you talking to me about pitching? I'm like, man, I just want to be on the field. I just want to play baseball. And, you know, that night they called and said that I was going to go back to uh, extended spring training and basically DH every game, but do all my work with the pitchers. And I ended up throwing one bullpen. I probably played, in, I don't know, seven or eight games. I was actually swinging the bat again really well. I threw one bullpen and they called me in. I'm like, okay, I'm getting called up, going to low A or high A. And, okay, we're scrapping this hitting thing. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, I've thrown one bullpen. Already? And I'm swinging the bat really well. So, uh, yeah, and it was like, okay. You know, a lot of, you know, the, I, I probably didn't handle it right in a sense during the meeting. I, in a, I got pretty pissed and there was a lot of cussing and yelling back and forth. And it was just like, man, like, I just want to play baseball. It came down to it. I said, just stop messing, jerking my chain. Let's just be straightforward. Like, what do you want me to do? And I'll do it. Let's go. And they're like, will you give us a hundred percent on the mound? I said, Oh yeah, let's go. All right. So that, from that day on, it was just pitch. And I never really wanted to pitch again. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's, that's a really interesting point because you're, you're in, you're a hundred percent in as a hitter at that point, like your mindset is, dude, I can hit. Like I just, I almost want a job in AAA at where I'm at and fast forward, maybe a couple of weeks, a month or two. Now, all of a sudden you're telling me I can't hit. And now you want me to pitch like completely. Usually they just release you. Right. right. And just say, ah, this guy can't hit. Like there's no, but you, that's my, I guess my point is you were that athletic and that good and had that much arm strength that they saw something in you. They're like, okay, maybe, maybe he can't, hit at the highest level maybe we're foreseeing that but they're like this dude could really throw and that but you weren't probably quite ready for that yet right right you know and it was like it was just my first full season so it was like yeah. you're really giving this thing a chance yeah you know? you're not 28 29 yeah. right <laughs> right right which in the same point you know I was, I was 20 I think I was probably 19 or 20 at the time and you're, uh, you're a baby it was, it was go time so it was like yeah. all right I'm good let's go that's that's it's, it's that's why I wanted you to share that. That's so interesting that that sometimes that's our route, you know. And so so once you started to pitch and you're starting to get in, now you're 100 percent in. Did, did you miss hitting? Was that something that you always wanted to go back to? You know, everyone kept saying it, and I just basically told them, "Look, like they want me to pitch, I need to focus 100 percent on pitching." And I never really looked back at like, "Man, I want to get an AB or I think I can hit this guy or anything like that." I mean, ultimately, as a hitter, like. You know, I, especially after getting up to the big leagues and stuff, it was, you know, I didn't care how hard you threw. I could hit a fastball. Yeah. And it was all of a sudden when these guys are starting to break off these pretty good sliders, it was like, you know, that just, I'd swing. It was like, where'd that go? You know, like, hey, why? That's, not, that's not very nice. <laughs> yeah, like, okay. But I mean, it was, it was very beneficial for me as a pitcher because I got to spend, you know, you know, my first year in, I had a rookie level hitting coach and then I went to high A hitting coach. And then my first spring training, I spent basically the whole spring training with the AAA hitting coach and learning what they're teaching the hitters and what they're seeing off of pitchers and stuff like that. So when I got to the mound, it was kind of a reversal of, I kind of have an idea of what you're looking for in me. So now I'm going to use that against you. I might set you up one way where you're like, oh, he's definitely going here. And then, 
you know, just flip the script and go completely opposite. That's crazy. Yeah, that's so cool, man. So, so now tell us your, your call-up story. Like, how did you get to the big leagues? All right, so um, actually in 2009, I was the only guy on the 40-man roster that didn't get called up <laughs> until September. Okay. And I was uh, – so kind of go back a little bit. You know, my first year I kind of piggybacked, and I only threw 30 innings, I believe. Uh, and then I went to the Hawaiian League through like 10, 10 to 15 more. And then my first full season as a pitcher, they're like, hey, you're only going to throw 100 innings this year. Well, at All-Star break, I had like 86 innings pitched. And I was like, so we had the meeting. I'm like, I only got 14 innings left the rest of the year. And we're only halfway. And they're kind of like, okay, well, how do you feel? I said, I feel great. Mm-hmm. So they just limited my, you know, I was a starter just to get innings and stuff like that. And they limited my innings. Um, but they left my pitch count at 100. So I was like, hey, I'm just going to punch everybody out. I'm going to use all 100 pitches and right. let's go. Right. Well, then they caught wind of that. So they cut my pitch count down to like 70 and they're like, hey, you can pitch as deep as you want. So then it was like, oh, all right. Now I, I was getting into like the sixth, seventh inning. And I'm like, man, I've never done this before, but I'd have like four or five strikeouts. I'm like, there's nothing fun about that. I want to play. Right. <laughs> and so. Who cares about longevity, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> that was, that was 06, uh, 07 was low A. And then when I went to high in 08, I was a starter again. And I hated starting. I, I wanted to be a reliever. I was a max effort guy. Uh, to try to stay composed for five, six innings just wasn't my nature. My nature was, let's go. I'm going to let it eat. I'm coming at you with everything I got for, at that point, was, you know, three innings. And so about mid-season into high A, I get moved to a reliever and never done any relieving in minor league baseball or anything like that at that point. I was in high for about a month and a half, got called up for the double-A playoffs. Um, and I pitched one game for them, and then all of a sudden I'm in the playoffs and I'm their setup guy. Well, then by the championship series, I had moved into the, the closer's role for it, and then our pitching coach is like, hey, man, have you ever thrown back-to-back days? I'm like, this is the first year I've ever even pitched out of the pen. He's like, well, how do you feel? And we weren't allowed to do that at the younger levels, so they called the pitching coordinator and – Hey, as long as he feels good, let him go. And I remember going out there and it was just, that was, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, it gave me the, I think being a position player and having that opportunity to be a part of every game, no matter if you started or not, you're, you're into the game and you can affect the outcome of the game for your team is kind of like that same mentality I had as a reliever is even if I'd thrown three days in a row, there was still a chance I could get in this game. And, uh, and I loved that part of it. And so Going to 2009, I'm back into double-A for a first full season, and I'm throwing the ball really well. Um, everybody, I'm seeing all these guys move, and I'm seeing what's happening at the big league level, and I'm just like, man, like, what do I got to do? Like, I don't know what I got to do. <laughs> right. And I finally get called up to triple-A, um, and we're having a game. And like, like I said, I had some pretty good relations with some of the hitting coaches throughout. So I get up to triple-A, and I'm like, hey, man, you know, talking to the hitting coach again and all this. And, so we get to, you know, the call-up date, you know, right there before September and before the game, you know, you don't normally find out until after the game. And obviously, if you're going to get called up, you don't pitch and all this. But before the game, one of the coaches comes up to me and he's like, hey, man, congrats. I'm like, for what? Be here? I've been here for like a month, you know? Like, and he's like, no, you're getting called up after the game. And I like, was like, huh? Like, I freaked out. And he's like, wait a minute, you don't know? I'm like, no, no one said anything. And he's like, okay, don't 
say a word, blah, blah, blah. So all the pitchers go down the line. We're all warming up uh, before the game, kind of doing our routines and stuff, and everyone's talking about it. You know, it's like tonight's the night. When Who's going to get called up? And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, hey, they already told me I'm going, even though they really haven't. So right. I can probably stay and finish out the playoffs, and I'll meet you guys because you guys are all been up before. I haven't been up. And, uh, one of our guys, he got hit. He missed the ball, hit off his glove, clanked it, hit him in the eye. Well, then I ended up pitching that. So right as they called down, well, every time the phone rang, I'm like, it ain't me. I'm getting called up, you know. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they're like, done. You know, you got the lefty. He's up third. I'm like, Wait, what? Okay. So, like, I rocket fire. I'm like, well, I guess I'm not getting called up. So my mentality is like. Yeah, so to preface that, because when you know you're getting called up, you t- you're not playing that game typically. Right, right, they, yeah. They don't you're, wanna... you're fresh for when you get up there. and. So I was like, all right, let's go. My mindset changed. Let me get this lefty out. I go in, and I never pitch shorter than, like, an inning and a third or one inning at the time. So I come in. I punch the guy out for the third out, and I come sit down. They're like, hey, you're done. And I was like, well, that was actually pretty easy. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but, you know, I'm showering. You know, after the game, I get in there, and I'm, they're handpicking everybody. Everyone's going in, and I'm just like, dang it. Why did that happen? Why did I have to go in and face one guy? So I sat there for quite some time, like, okay, are they going to come get me? Are they going to come get me? Nothing happened. So I start taking my clothes off, getting ready to go, start heading for the shower, and they're like, the manager, done, get in here. <laughs> I'm in full sprint into there, and everyone's just clapping. Because like, I was the only one that hadn't been called up that year. So they had all had their own experiences before. So they, they, I think they had found out I was told before the game, so they wanted to make it as if I wasn't going to get called up. Okay. So, so they're messing with you a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They definitely had fun with it. <laughs> That's awesome. So you get called up. Now, at what, what point of the year was this? Uh, September 1st was my first day. So I was just a September call-up, and then we were in Baltimore. Yeah. <laughs> I remember walking into the hotel, and, I mean, I'm on cloud nine. Like, yeah. I pitch in the big leagues, and I just get into my hotel room, and I'm talking to my dad, and I'm like, Dad, I think they messed up. He's like, what do you mean? He was like, I mean, this was the biggest, nicest hotel room I'd ever been in. And I'm like, okay. I think it could be someone else's room. Like, this isn't this isn't for me, you know? And it's sweet. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, this is awesome. I don't have a what do you mean I don't have a roommate? You know what I mean? Like there's no one else in I've got my own my own space. And you know, it was it was pretty cool. And I show up to uh the field the next day, you know, say hi to everybody and the game starts. And I remember sitting out there in the bullpen and the mound looked like it was four miles away. I was just like, oh, my gosh, I'm in the big leagues. And that mound looks tiny from where I'm at. Right. And, but I remember telling one of the guys, I'm like, dude, these lights are so bright. Like, it felt like a day game, you know, coming from the minor leagues, the small stadium, oh, yeah. small. I was like, it's <laughs> like a day game at, like, 8 o'clock at night. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so, dude, that's, that's awesome, was, man. So, so yeah. and, and which team was this with? That was with the Yankees. That's with the Yankees. So, Essentially, the biggest team in baseball. Right? Yeah, like push on their way to their uh, national championship or the World Series, you know. Yes. If I'm got junior college in my head, so yeah, they win the World Series that year. Awesome. So you, so you got to experience New York, what it's like to play there. You're playing with some of the biggest stars in the game. I got to ask you, what what are the fans like there? How do they, how do they treat you? What did you see there? Uh, I mean, for me, it was amazing. Uh, a lot of fun. Um, 
I went up. I only pitched four times, I believe, for them throughout that because uh, a couple of the other lefties that were available uh, were banged up throughout the year, so they needed to make sure that they were healthy for the playoff push. And so I only got to pitch four times, which I, I think I'd already surpassed over 100 innings that year as a reliever. So they were kind of that's a lot. Cut me anyways, yeah. And uh, so it was uh, it was just a lot of fun. It, I was up there just to get the experience, talk to the guys, and really just kind of learn from you know the best. So, you know, talking about that 09 team, it's the best of the best. It was a lot of fun, yeah. and I learned a lot. So let's dive into the mindset of a pitcher. You know, you you, you started in the minor leagues. Now you're you're mainly just bullpen now. What is it? How do you prepare yourself? As a, as a bullpen type guy? Oh, I mean, you can go into hours of this. Uh, it's, uh, you know, booking, you know, prep for a series, um, you know, especially, you know, Billy Wagner kind of taught me the most whenever I went to Atlanta in 2010 on how to use video and what to look for in video and stuff like that. So I, I worked with him a lot in 2010 on things to look for in hitters. And he's like, don't get on here and just watch yourself pitch. And hey, yeah, you struck that guy out on four pitches, cool. But what did, you, what did he tell you? What kind of information did he give you in the way he swung the bat, what his stride looked like and stuff like that. So we cut that. And I, so I would do all my video prep uh, the day before the series or the day of, depending on where we were traveling from. If we were at home, I was able to get a lot of it in the night before. And then I, you know, I was, in, I get to the field early. Uh, I would normally show up around noon. Uh, pitcher stretch was normally anywhere between 3.30 and 4, depending on what team I was with. And so I had three hours to either get a workout in or go in and get my video work done and just kind of, I didn't always look for the hitter's weaknesses. I wanted to look for my strengths, how it played against the hitter, whether it be his weakness or not. But I also wanted to know what the hitter's weakness was if I got into a pinch, needed to make a pick. Where do I need to go with it? But ultimately, if I'm going to use – if it's your weakness and my weakness, I'm probably going to miss because it's my weakness. So I'm going to stick to my right. strength. Right. I'm going to do what I know I can do well, and I'm going to stick to it and figure out how or where I need to attack you. And once I got that down, you know, that, that three-game or whatever four-game series, I already know now. I have my own notebook that I review every, every day. But, you know, my routine was sound. You know, we'd stretch, come in, eat, review my, review my notes. And, uh, you know, and then once the game started, I was – for the bulk of my career, I pitched from the seventh inning on. And I could kind of sit down there, and it was my time to relax, uh, you know, the first four to five innings. But once that fifth inning hit, my stretch started. It was game on, mindsets locked in. And I knew exactly where that lineup was every inning. And if there was a double switch or anything like that, where are those lefties that I'm going to face? You know, in, in 2010, I was just a lefty specialist in a sense. So, you know, I had the Howards, the Utleys, you know, I had all those guys that I had to focus on. So it was like, look at the lineup. I know this is my section. The rest of it's going to go to somebody else. So every time that section came around, I was mentally preparing myself for that phone call. So whenever the phone rang, it wasn't like, oh, me. It was, I anticipated my name to be said every time the phone rang. Yeah, you got to have that mindset of, I know when that lefty's coming up, I'm likely coming in. It's going to be me, yeah. right? It's not, it's not yeah. the other lefty that's here. It's me, rather than being shocked right. or surprised by it, right? Yeah, and, and you, know, you know, I was kind of 
for the bulk of my career wasn't I didn't get a whole lot of clean innings. It was come in and bell us out. So I knew as things were going, it, I couldn't just sit back. It was this is my time. Like here it comes. And, you know, everybody's a little bit different. Like you got your long guys kind of hang out. Like at the beginning of the game, the long guys are the ones that are locked in, keeping mm -hmm. track of pitch count for the starter and how everything's going and stuff like that. And then about the fifth inning, it, the roles reverse. And the back end guys are starting to now focus in and lock in. And, um, you know, it was like you had separated bullpens. You know, you had the guys that were locked in early, and then they would come in and relax, and then these guys would go out and start locking in. And yeah. you, you learned everyone else's routines to where you weren't getting in anybody's way, and no one's joking around when the phone is, and it's like, hey, man, it's you. Like, wait, what? you made sure you were locked in and you never got caught. But. That's great. Tell us about, for, for maybe there's someone that's not listening that doesn't know what your stuff looked like or what, like your velocity, like tell us and explain maybe how your stuff even developed from the minor leagues when you started pitching to the big leagues. What did that look like for you? Uh, all right. So coming up as a, as a starter in the minor leagues, I basically was 88 to 92. Um, was every every day I went out there as a starter. I could jump it up to 93, 94 here and there for one or two pitches. But, again, that was over a course of five, six innings. And um, my first game out of the bullpen in high A, after I'd been begging the, the manager to put me in the pen, we had three rainouts in the Florida State League. Couldn't hmm. push anybody back anymore. And he's like, all right, you three guys, you're all starters, figure it out. You're going three innings each. And I, I jumped in. I said, look, you guys are legit starters. I'll take seven, eight, nine. You guys can fight over who's going to start the game. Okay. Well, I come into that game and I'm sitting 94, touching 97, and I strike out seven to nine guys. And the manager's like, that's what you want to do. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I want to do. Like, yeah. I don't have and he's like, why can't you do that as a starter? I'm like, I can't let it eat that, that many times, you know, 100 pitches. Like, I can go out there and let it eat for 35 pitches, 40 pitches, and I'm good. But after that, you might as well pull me, you know, <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm going to be up there breathing heavy and just be gassed. So uh, in the first seven years of my career in the big leagues, um, I averaged 95 miles an hour on my fastball. Mm. Um, I could run it up to 99. My uh, slider was anywhere from 85 to 91 whenever mm -hmm. I was younger, mm -hmm. um, but had its best action at 86, 87. But I, I learned how to manipulate it to make it a sharper cutter or I, if I needed to slow it down and uh, make it a little bit loopier just to kind of get you off of the velocity. Right. Um, but bulk of my career, I was fastball slider. And uh, as I got older and the last couple of years in, with, the, with the Rockies, my velocity dropped to 90, 91, maybe, I don't know, even really know if I hit 92. I basically was pitching at 90. And my slider pretty much stayed at 85, 86. Um, but that velocity change wasn't really there anymore, so I developed a curveball. Okay. And I threw it a little bit early on, but it was I'd use it 1% to 2% of the time. And when I got there, I started using it a lot more just because I needed that separation and velocity. My curveball, I probably threw the curveball as hard, harder than anybody, any other pitch in my arsenal, and it was like 78 miles an hour. I'm like, so it's kind of a get-me-over type pitch for you? Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, I'm watching these other guys throw, like, 83-mile-an-hour curveballs. I'm like, dude, how do you do – like, I'm literally throwing this as hard as I can. <laughs> and I was just like, I don't get it. But yeah. it, it worked for me. It gave me that separation. And it just, uh, you know, it it was fun throwing, 
going hard. That's that's gas. I mean, to, to know what it feels like to throw 97, 98, 99, that's got to be just an amazing feeling. So talk about your preparation in regards to what you did off the field, the gym, your workouts. What did that look like for you? Uh, pretty much everything I did, I based around a three-day schedule. Um, with it came into the, we'll say, training room and uh, maintenance, you know, maintenance for my body and my arm, I did everything in a three-day regimen where I'd come in and get either HIVAMAT done on me day one, day two, they would do the scraping mechanisms, and then day three, they would come in and if I had a hot spot and we would really focus on just a, a muscle flush. And it didn't matter if I pitched or not. I was in there at 1.30 every day getting something done because I wanted my arm to feel as good as it could every single day. I didn't yeah. want to have peaks and valleys. Like, I always felt like if I got super sore and I went into the training room to talk to the trainer, it was too late. Yeah. I, like, soreness is already set in. I want to keep, I want to keep my body used to, like, if, I was, if this was 100% and this was – you know, say 60%, I wanted to stay right around 80%. And I didn't want my body to feel better because the days that it felt really good and I had a lot of energy, you overthrow and you use big muscles instead of relaxing and just letting it go. And then days that you're down, you end up trying to do too much and you're herky jerky and then your, your location gets wild. Yeah. So yeah. I tried to keep my body in the 85% range every single day. Okay. And so then you go into the gym and it was very similar. Day one, day one would be a total body workout. Day two would be cardio and core. And day three was cardio. And then I would just repeat it. Every three days, it was the exact same thing. Go in and keep it going. You know, you talk to guys, they're like, oh, I work out after I pitch. And I'm like, well, you're a reliever. If you pitch two days in a row, you're going to work out two days in a row? Right. Oh, yeah. Okay, if you pitch three days in a row, you can work out three days in a row? Oh, no, I wouldn't. I said, well, then you don't work out after you pitch. But then if you get four days off, are you not going to work out for four or five days? And then when, then when you go in the gym and you work out, then you're going to get sore from just working out. So I wanted my body to know exactly what it was going to expect on a daily basis from every day I was going to come in, my workouts, I wasn't going to strain my body or it wasn't, you know, I stayed consistent with my workouts to where my body knew what it was going to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with my arm with pitching. I didn't want to, you know, I pitched five days in a row, I think was the most I'd ever thrown. Um, but I was the king of four out of five, you know, coming up with the Marlins and it was, you know, I never felt bad. Like it was, it was, let's go. Like you could handle that. Yeah. Keep the body feeling the same every single day. And you're not, you're not going to stress the body in any way. What was your recovery like after games? Were you an icer? Did you do all your, your shoulder exercises? Uh, I was not, a, I hated ice. I okay. hated it. I, yeah. I felt like, me, the only time I ever iced was if I knew for sure I was down the next day. If we had an off day the next day, because I always felt like with ice, I woke up tight. Yeah. Um, I would go in and I would do my arm maintenance stuff, um, which was, again, on a three-day, depending on if it was just band work, if it was weights, or if it was uh, stabilization with the trainer. It was on a three-day plan after, after games and stuff like that. So it just depended on what day it fell on on how it, how it all managed. And then obviously like if workload starts to get high, you can kind of tone things down in the gym and tone things down on the recovery side of, instead of doing 12 to 15 sets of this, Hey, we're only going to go eight and cut the weight in half just to kind of let's get some blood flow, flush the area, but let's not really strain any more muscles just because 
this is what we do. You know, you gotta, you gotta listen to your body. I mean, your body tells you everything you know, you just gotta be willing to listen. When you got into the off season, were you, would you say a heavy type lifter? Did that change a lot from the season? Uh, I definitely lifted heavier in the off season. Um, but we work out with Tim Soder physical therapy and Tim has been my trainer. I, I think I got, I jumped on board with him in Oh six. Yeah. I believe it was the first year with him and we did everything in month segments. Um, so like the first, first two weeks in the first month, you're kind of just getting back in the gym and getting your body used to it again. And then you're starting to kind of pick up weight as it went on. Right. And then, so that was November and then December would hit and December was our heavy month. Like we're getting after it. We're pushing a lot of weight around. January comes around, we're doing plyometrics. So now, you know, the weight level goes down, but the heart rate's through the ceiling and you're keeping it going, 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 going. And so like you had your time to build up in the first two months and then it was now you've got your body in the best shape you can. Now let's trim it down and get back into baseball shape. Right. And as a reliever, you're a sprinter in a sense. Like it's you're on, you're off, you're on, you're off. So it's the quick recoveries and you want to keep that heart rate high. And, you know, how fast can I recover from pushing my body as hard as I can, taking a 20-second break and doing it again? Can I keep the same performance level? Are we seeing a lot more from a, a training perspective? Like you mentioned sprints. Are we seeing a lot more now with training? Are, are pitchers sprinting more than long-distance running? You know, you know, around the league, um, it's more sprint work you see is being done. I remember when I first came up, it was all distance. Everything, mm -hmm. it was like, hey, you, here's a stopwatch. Go until I tell you stop or, you know, 45 minutes, you know, whatever it is. And yeah. um, the, the younger kids coming up are definitely built more around the sprint work. Um, but I still believe that the longer flushes, for me at least personally, you know, helped here and there. It wasn't every single day but you know maybe once a week go out there and, and go for an hour hour and a half and just kind of you know not at a fast pace but just get that body moving and get that you know all that lactic acid out of you and depending on your workload okay very cool so now tell our audience how long you've been retired and let's let's shift into what you're doing now at csn uh i got released uh January or July, June, June 18th of 2019. Um, it was kind of a, they knew I was banged up. I knew I was banged up and it was, there was nothing I could do. Surgery wasn't an option. There was, I mean, it was just deal with, I had, I had shoulder surgery and it didn't really help with what I was going on, what was going on with me. And it was, it was a mutual thing. Like it was kind of, I saw writing on the wall. Um, <laughs> I came home and I, you know, I had two boys. I got a seven-year-old and a four-year-old and it gave me time to actually be dad. Yeah. I've, I've lived in Vegas for 18 years now and last year was the first time I was here in the summer. And it gets hot. <laughs> it's not fun in Vegas <laughs> in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely gets hot. Needless why we're building a pool currently. I said, if we're yeah. staying, we need a place to cool off. Absolutely. So, but yeah, so I've been retired almost a year now and uh, I, I love it. My body feels great. Um, you know, it's banged up here and there when I do different things. If I play golf three days in a row, my knee and shoulder might hurt. But, hey, it's okay. Things you got to right. deal with. That's right. And so, so you've been tired for a year. Congratulations on that your, your career was awesome. Um, next thing you know, it'll be a decade, and you'll be like, holy cow, what's going on? 
Um, but now you've been, so I, when I go to scout CSN, which CSN is a local junior college, College of Southern Nevada, one of the best JCs in, in the nation, really. And you've been helping out with the pitchers. Tell me what that experience has been like. And if you have any stories um, that you've been able to help, you don't have to name names or anything, but maybe you've been help, been able to help with a certain kid. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it all kind of just started when I got home and you know, I, I talked to the coaches over there and I'm like, Hey guys, like, do you mind? Like they, they wanted me to come out. I always kind of came out and talked to the players you know, my, at Cimarron and stuff like that. And I went out and I talked to them and, and I just kind of would show up once a week, kind of helping out where I can. And, and they, you know, they asked me if, you know, they basically told me come out whenever you want, however often you want. And I talked to my wife and, you know, I really enjoyed going out there and, and spending time with the guys and stuff. And so well, being around the game, obviously, you know, you just you, it's what we what I did for my entire life. It's what I know. And so going out there, you know, I didn't just work with just the pitchers. I worked with everybody. You know, like you said, we talked like you know, being a hitter, being a, a first baseman there, being an outfielder there. And, you know, the only thing I didn't do there was pitch. But uh, <laughs> it was I tried to help out and be as open as I could to all the players. Obviously, I'm going to gravitate towards the pitchers because it's what I did for the bulk of my career. And, um, you know, a lot of guys, uh, we, we got a lot of communication. It was – I think it was nice for some of the coaches to have me out there, and it was nice that, for me to have the other coaches there too. But I just kind of was a soundboard. You know, sometimes what Gidge was trying to tell the, the pitchers, they – you know, sometimes like being a player, it's how you per perceive the information, how, that, you know, that, that lingo that you hear. And I could say the exact same thing just in a different way and they could understand it. And then other times I would say stuff and they'd look at me like, what the hell is this guy talking about, you know? And Gidge could kind of, you know, route them around. And so we were able to kind of bounce back and forth with each other on the, on the, on the pitchers and stuff. And, you know, had some really good mental conversations with some of the players there. Um, I challenged a couple of the players on who was going to be the best pitcher and, you know, the best player. And, you know, and I flat out, like, you know, I think there was three of them that were challenged, and I think all three of them thought I was going to select a certain one, and I didn't. I picked somebody else. And so it was to push the other guys to see what they were doing and outwork the person next to you. Don't just be as good as the person next to you. Push to be better than the person next to you. And you, can, you guys are going to feed off each other because once you get the internal competition, you know, the bar just keeps getting raised, which that's just helping the team. The better you're doing, the better the team's doing. And if we can get everybody on board with that, the better the, the, whole, the whole group will be. Yeah, there's something about holding each other accountable. I used to I remember growing up and coming up when I was a young player, and you heard about the Braves, you know, the Maddox, Smoltz, Glavin, Avery, all those guys, how they pushed each other. And I think that's once that was kind of more open, you started to see that in different staffs, you know, and I'm sure, hey, dude, let's, like, we're on the same team, but let's go. Let, let's work this. We're going to have a challenge in this competition here, you know, whether it's in the weight room or whatever whatever the case may be. And it's it gets you to where you're mentally ready and prepared, and you know, okay, I'm ready to go. Like, yeah. you're, you're not going to beat me in this aspect of the game. Well, it's funny you bring up the Braves. So, I, you know, 2010, I get traded to the Braves. So it's my second big league spring training. And I remember, like, three days in, Bobby Cox has a team meeting with pitchers, and he's, like, kind of like, look, we don't need someone out there to tell you to run. 
We don't need to tell you to go 15 poles, 10 poles, whatever it is. He's going to have something, and you do what you want, and you do what you need to do. Because this is the big leagues, and if you don't do your job, I'll just bring the next person up to do it. Right. So it was just – that was that standard of everybody pushed each other, and it wasn't just a set routine of what you were going to run or what you were going to do that day. It was, you know, and as a young kid, like, I'm trying to, like, okay, do I need to do distance? Do I need to do sprints? Do I, you know, whatever it was, and I'm just trying to stay back but focus and get quality work in. Well, coming from the Yankees, it was like, <laughs> you know, drill sergeant, here it is. You had your entire day planned out for you, how long you were going to run and all this. And, you know, so you move into now you have to grow as, as a player yourself and around guys that just constantly push to be the best that was. It was an amazing, amazing time. That's, that's interesting you point that out, that you had one big league team that had a certain strategy. You have to almost check these off. To, that's your work. And then the other team, like, nope, you're a professional. You're going to do your thing. How, how, which one did you like? Did you have prefer, preference between which one? Uh, you know, no, not really. I, I really enjoyed both. Um, I pulled, you know, a lot from the Yankees. I'm a very structured person as it is. Like, you know, my wife, she, she laughs at me all the time. And people be like, hey, meet up at 12. And they're like, they know when they tell you, that means you're going to be there at like 11.45. Like, hey, I'm late. Like, I'm early to everything I do. I don't want to be rushed. And that's why I got to the field as early as I did. And it was – I. If, if I forgot something, I had time to go get it or whatever it was. I had time to figure out my day. But there was different aspects that I pulled from every team I played with that kind of – I just kept building into my routine. And it, it, a lot of things I got very structured, so I brought that from the Yankees, the pushing and, and just the inner circle group that we had with Atlanta. I tried to – not enforce it, but I tried to have that in all the clubhouses, like in Miami and Colorado, the constant open communication between players. And, you know, the one big thing I feel like baseball is missing nowadays, I mean, back in 2010, I mean, it was mandatory. The game was over. No one was leaving for two hours. After Everyone set, ate their food after the game, and you talked the game. You had the relievers in one corner. You had starters in another section. You had – uh, the position players over here, and then all of a sudden the whole group just kind of mingled and we went over the game, like what happened during the game. Our game plan was this, and we had to change to this, and the guys who pitched in that game gave their input to the guys who didn't pitch, and, you know, it was just that constant baseball talk. Right. And where, you know, now with the electronics and stuff like that, like there's times where you walk into a clubhouse and everyone's basically just in their phone, and it's like, hey, guys. How you doing? You know, and it, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, like in, in Atlanta, it was mandatory. No matter who you were, no matter your service time, if you walked in the clubhouse and there was other guys there, you walked around, you said hi to everybody, and you know that's just the way it was. If I beat Chipper Jones in there, he was going to come to my locker and say hi to me. Like that was just the atmosphere that we had. Everyone was going to have open communication. That's awesome. Yeah, it yeah. was a lot of. Never experienced anything like that. That'd been pretty cool. I think that's the the team camaraderie, right? Everyone gets to know each other and kind of knows what's going on, and not only your really really more your personal life too. Like you actually care right. what's going on with your wife, kids. Because a lot a lot of time you get to the big leagues, except for these really young phenoms that get up early. A lot of these guys now they're married. They might have a kid or two or three or four, and it's just a completely different. It's more of a family atmosphere. That's pretty cool. And you end up spending more time with that group of guys than you do with your family. Yeah. Until, until the off season. Then you got you know, four months to try to cram it all in and get it back, you know? <laughs>
Well, this is awesome, man. One last thing I want to ask you is you've now experienced almost 10 years of the big leagues. You had a lot of success. What would you tell yourself? What would you tell Mike Dunn as a, as a teenage ball player on the mental side? Cool your jets sometimes. You know, take a deep breath. I learned throughout the minor leagues with the Yankees, you know, doing different mental, mental coaches and different tests that we did that I'm a very high-strung person as it is. So I'm already at that top tier. If I try harder, I'm putting my body in a bad spot. So it's like, hey, you're already there. Stay calm. Stay there. Don't try harder. Because when you try harder, you're actually straining your body and you're not performing as good as you can. That's, that's good. Let it eat. Let's go. Let it eat. <laughs> I'm always on Sima, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's I'm awesome, man. Pop anytime I got it. That's right. Well, dude, I appreciate you taking the time to come on board with me today. This has been great. I know um, kids are starting to really enjoy this. And just listening to big leaguers, listening to coaches, listening to scouts and recruiters, you know, all types of just different information. And everybody has something different. And I think that's what's valuable about it. I wish you the best of luck getting your pool in because it's going to get 100 degrees here pretty soon. Yeah. So, all right, man. Well, I will see you around. And, again, thanks for coming on board with me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. Okay. Take care of yourself. We'll see you. Okay. Bye-bye. Hey, what's up, guys? I want to thank you for listening to today's episode. You know, if you had any experience playing a sport while growing up, or even now, you know, have a kid playing a sport, you know how important the mental game is. Now, there are many that say it's at least 60% of their sport, and some will even say it's as high as about 90%. So if the consensus is it's at least 60% of your game, no matter what sport, what are you or what are your son, you know, your daughter doing to work on the mental game? I want to help you out or your athlete out. As I work with athletes at all different ages, they are all different as far as their engagement in a group setting or in one-on-ones. To help give athletes some options, I wanted to hit on doing mental training on their own time one-on-ones, or even in a group setting. So I wanted to give you some options. My first option is my online course where I created over 40 videos where your athlete can watch, learn, and go through these videos at their own pace. I would think and say that this is great for those athletes that don't want to be a part of a group setting or they have thoughts, you know, they don't want anyone to know that I'm actually working on my mental game. Now, these videos come in a yearly membership where they watch the videos, they have access to me through email during the duration of their membership, and they get a one one-on-one call per year. And this is a membership. It's $199 per year. So for more information on that, go to mentaledge.training. The second option is for those that really like engagement. I've been doing live weekly online calls where I pick a topic to coach on. I engage and ask questions with the athletes on how this applies to them. They take notes in their mental game journal and they work on that particular skill or the topic I give them for that week. Now this option is a membership as well and it's $13.99 a month. I also do get a lot of inquiries about one-on-one coaching as well as team coaching. I do do those as well. So you can email me at chad at mentaledge.coach for more details on that. But if you want more information on the links on these memberships I have, click on the show notes 
and that can give you all that information there on those websites. But I want to thank you again for listening to this podcast. I do want to make this better. I would love to hear any comments, any suggestions you have where I can make this podcast even better for you and to help you out. I also want to let you know that all of these interviews in, on this podcast are also in video form on YouTube. And if you go search Mental Edge Training Coach, all these interviews will be there as well. So again, thank you for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. Take care.